0: like many of you woke up this morning and thought it was a joke um, that my alarm went off cuz my phone reset cuz it's supposed to do that which is good cuz I didn't I don't set an actual alarm clock I use my phone for that but but there's some things that are better than we expected time change spring forward is always worse than i expect the morning of so i'm glad you guys are here some people will show up either later or they're going to go oh yeah meant to be there but <laughs> couldn't roll out of bed but sometimes we experience things that we end up being better than we thought or worse than we thought. So I was thinking about an experience when I was about 22 or 23 that was worse than I thought. Um, so I, it was the summer before I started working and finished college and before I started working full-time at a church, I'd been teaching tennis full-time, but I, but I happened to hit this week of like three or four weeks where I had no job. And so my parents were taking a family vacation and said, Would you like to go because this is probably the last time we'll ever do this? And I said, Yeah, I'd love to. So we went to Colorado and my mom showed me the pictures of this place where we were staying in Manitou Springs, right outside Colorado Springs. And and it was pretty cool in the pictures. It was like this space that had like a living area and a sleeping area and the and the resort there was supposed to have um like a pool and a hot tub and like a basketball court and so we're all like this looks great. No, this is pre-trip advisor, by the way. So we we get there and we we look at like, huh? doesn 't look like the pictures, <laughs> and we pull up to where we 're staying, and I was like that 's it. It was a garage i 'm not kidding <laughs> legitimately a garage, and we go in and there weren 't like i mean there were two areas to sleep, but they were all it 's a garage right it 's all open, so it 's clean, and they already paid for it, so we 're stuck and um, I told you there was a pool i, I don 't think it had water in it. Um, the hot tub was like when you find someone 's backyard but there was a basketball goal. We did play a lot of one-on-one because what else do you do? No, I'll get to that, but we didn't expect what we got. Or I could tell you about the time when I was a youth pastor and we were taking 225 teenagers to Kings Island in, in Cincinnati and then we were staying at the Kings Island Resort. Sounds nice, right? TripAdvisor did exist on this trip, but none of us looked at it, so we get there, and we walk into a room, and I'm like, hmm, you just aren't Band-Aids on the floor when you walk into a hotel room? That's just not pretty common, or like, hear things from girls that have been left, I don't know when, and one guy looked it up his sheets, and there was like a wet yellow spot in the middle, and yeah, I'm like, I'm not even making this up. I slept in sweatpants and a sweatshirt with my hood pulled up with socks on, and it was like the middle of July. I didn't care. And so we went to the front desk that night because, you know, we're stuck. Where are you going to go with 200 people at 10 o'clock at night? The answer is nowhere. You're stuck there. And so the front desk worker, who was probably, you know, like 19 years old, he goes, didn't you guys look at TripAdvisor before you booked this? I didn't book it but I was stuck with the rest of them. But sometimes something happens that we didn't expect. It's better than we expected. I could tell the story. It's been probably what five or six years ago now. I don't remember exactly, but it was, it was in early December and our son had been with his aunt and she was bringing him back home to our house and, and um, she knew that something had happened at the house. And so she was recording him in the car as it pulled in and, And he got so excited because there were Christmas lights on the house. And all of a sudden he goes, look, there are Christmas lights. Do you see what my mommy made me? I've got to stop right here in the story because I was a little bit offended. How did he know his mom did it? I mean, she did, but that's not the point. He already knew. But he was so excited when he saw this Christmas. It was better than he had ever expected. And so this really is the question for us. We've all had experiences in life that are better than we thought they'd be and much worse than we thought they would be. And the question becomes at the end of them, which is it when it comes to our faith, is knowing Jesus actually better than we thought or is it something that we're not really sure about? I mean, what is it for us in that? And and this is the question we kind of wrestle with. Is faith something worth giving my life to in following after Jesus, or is that something that I probably wish I hadn't done or don't want to do? And so that's the question we all wrestle with. We put our faith in something, the question is what? So we're in this series called Road to Resurrection or Road to New Life, this idea that that maybe there's a journey we can take in which we find new life that we never knew possible. And so today we're looking at this passage from Romans chapter 4, and Romans was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was a Jew, he was actually a Pharisee. Paul knew the scriptures better than any of us, period. Memorized them, knew them, could recite them back to you. But here's the thing about Paul that I think is really important. He got the stories of scripture right, but he got their meaning wrong. I'm going to clarify that again. We can get the stories of scripture right, but their meanings wrong. can know what the Bible says and still not get it. In fact, Paul was a part of a whole group of people that that was true for. We're going to talk about some ways that begins to live out in our own lives and the way it lived out among the people of God. And so I'm going to read from Romans chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 and then 13 to 17. And so here's what Paul writes. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Jumping to verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. The word of the Lord. Paul begins by going back to Abraham, and he's really trying to ask this question, what does righteousness look like? What does it mean to be in right relationship with God and other people? And so here's kind of what Paul is trying to get across. It's this, it's that being in right relationship with God and others does not begin with our activity, but begins with our heart. Being in right relationship with God doesn't begin with our activity, it begins with our heart. What's that look like for us? So he said, Abraham wasn't considered righteous because of what he did, but because of what he believed. He had faith in God. God was who he said he was. Now, out of Abraham's faith, he did remarkable things. He trusted in God, and then he lived that out. So it's not that they're absent of one another. I mean, James writes about that. It's not that we have faith and no works. It's that when we have faith, then our life reflects that. And if we don't have faith, but we say we do and our life doesn't reflect it, then we definitely aren't like Abraham. And so I, I want to say something before I, to make this kind of clear. I think sometimes we talk about faith in Jesus or following after Jesus or becoming a Christian. We have this preconceived notion, and, and this is the preconceived notion, that our life has to be right before we come to know God. Abraham wasn't right before he came to know God. That's, he was probably the opposite of that. But here's what I want to say this this way. We don't have to get our life together before we come to know Jesus. We come to Jesus, and then God works to get our life together. Too often we have either been guilty in the church of, of pushing this idea that I can be right from the before I even know him. It's just not how it works, by the way. The reality is, for all of us, there's this growth in grace. There's this thing that happens over time that we begin to look more and more like Jesus if we continue to seek after him. And so, God does this work in us. He does it individually, but He also does it through the community of faith. And this whole community of faith idea is interesting because I think sometimes we forget how communities of faith work. We kind of get them wrong. And so, we've been talking about Abraham, but I'm going to kind of go a little bit before Abraham, and I'm going to reference Genesis chapter 1. And In the beginning, it says God created it. He created the heavens and the earth. And so there's these days of creation. And so there's kind of this theological thing that happens in the Genesis 1 story. It's that days one, two, and three are about separation. So day one, God separates out light and dark. Day two, he separates out sea and sky. Day three, he separates out dry land. So days one, two, and three, separation. Days four, five, and six. Day four, he fills what he separated on day one. Day one was light and dark. So what's he fill it with? Sun, moon, stars. Day two, he separated out the sea and dry. So what's he do? He fills it with plants or birds, fish. And day three, he separates out dry land and he fills it with animals and people. So separation, filling, and blessing. And then day seven is Rest or Sabbath. And so this is what God does. Days one, two, and three separates out these things. Light and dark, sea and sky, dry land. Days four, five, and six, he fills what he separated on days one, two, and three. Day four, sun, moon, stars, birds, and fish. Day five. Day six, people and plants. And so here's the reality that God separates out a people. He fills them, and then he sends them to be a blessing to the world. So the Genesis creation story is as much a theological understanding of the character and nature of God as it is telling us what may have happened. And so then we fast forward, and there's this call to Abram, Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to the world. I'm going to make you great, and your family will be a blessing to the world. You will be a blessing to the world. You'll be the father of many nations, all nations. And so we see the story, fast forward from Abraham, not too long after, we have, ends up that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then we end up in slavery. And so the Israelites find themselves in Egypt. And so you have this people who were supposed to be the people of God, right? They were supposed to be the blessing of the world. Now they're enslaved. And from slavery, they're crying out to God and God hears them. And then they're delivered from Egypt. And so Moses leads them out of Egypt and they find themselves wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And eventually they get this land they become their own people. And God raises up these judges, these rulers of the people. And they rule for this period of time. And then, and then this people of God starts to look around and says, you know, I know we're this unique community of faith in the world. And we're supposed to be a blessing to the world. But, but honestly, we just kind of want to be like everybody else. Everybody else has a king. Why, why can't we have a king? And God says, well, you don't need a king. I'm your king. And they're like, yeah, but we really want a king. And so they have a king. First King Saul, and he looks like a king. He sounds like a king. He was probably like really good looking, but, but, but all of a sudden he's king. And then and then Saul thinks he's pretty awesome too. <laughs> and all of a sudden God goes, mm, you're not gonna be king. In fact, your family's not gonna be heirs of this kingdom. I'm gonna rip it from your hands and it's gonna go to David because he's a man after my own heart. And David David starts really good, right? He's a man after God's own heart. And then he takes someone else's wife and decides that he wants her to be his wife has the guy killed, man after God's own heart, not looking like a man after God's own heart. And then his family is a wreck. And then Solomon, his son, becomes king. And you think, okay, well, maybe this guy will get it figured out. And Solomon starts good as well. He, he looks good on the front end. He says, God, I just want wisdom. Okay, was done. Arguably maybe one of the smartest guys to ever live, one of the wealthiest guys to live, and also one of the dumbest people to ever live read the story of Solomon. God has told them, don't be like all the other kingdoms. In fact, he said, don't be like the Egyptians. What what don't you do? Don't store up for yourselves chariots and horses. What does Solomon do? Stores up chariots and horses. God says, hey, don't have slaves. What does Solomon do? He has slaves. Hey, don't be so worried about wealth that it's going to what does Solomon do? He becomes one of the wealthiest men to ever live. God says, hey, don't be led astray by people from other cultures who don't know me yet. And what does Solomon do? He has like a thousand wives. He started falling after God. And then by the end of his life, it says his heart had been led astray. So for all his wisdom, it didn't work out, right? He chased wealth. In fact, the scripture said he had every year 666 talents of gold. By the way, it's not the mark of the beast in this or whatever you may think. It's the idea that it's incomplete, that what Solomon knew is every year he never had enough because when it came to having more, he could never be filled. It was always incomplete. And so 777 is the number of completion, the idea that God is restoring and redeeming and making all things new. And so Solomon and all his wealth could have all the gold. But it's interesting that every year it weighed the same. He'd get more and it was only the same every year? No. It's the idea that no matter how much he tried to consume, he could never consume enough. And following Solomon's death, the kingdom was split into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And then it was a succession of empires taking them over in exile. And into that, into that Jesus comes. And they're longing for something new. They're longing the Romans own Jerusalem. The Romans own these people who are called the people of God. This community of faith is owned by them. But here is the problem for Israel. It has been since the Exodus out of Egypt. You see, it was easy for God to get Israel out of Egypt. But it's been hard for God to get Egypt out of Israel. easy for God to get Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. He can do that. That's no big deal. But to get the hearts of the people of God, to understand the heart of God, that has been a problem. And so here's why this matters for us today. For many, they bought into, and if we, had, with the verses we skipped over talk about circumcision, it's part of why we skipped over them. It's just a lot of conversation of confusion, right? But here's the reality. These people had bought into an idea that by virtue of their birthright, they were the unique people of God. Well, Paul, who had embraced that wholeheartedly, Paul, who had said, hey, this is the way it is because we are fortunate, but Paul had his life turned upside down and he said, I think we got it wrong. I think we've understood the scriptures. We've we've read the scriptures, we know what they say, but we don't know what they mean. In fact, we... We begin to recognize this, that circumcision, this really is just trying to answer this question, physical action to represent that we are in faith in God. And so God established this covenant with Abraham. This covenant he established is is before that happens for Abraham. And so Abraham, his faith put him in right relationship. So in other words, we'd say it this way. The God's unique people were defined before any activity had happened, and it was by faith. And so as one scholar says, he says it this way, and he writes these words, and it should be on the screen as you can read with me. First, he has opened it up so it contains Gentiles as well as Jews, specifically Gentiles who believe in the gospel. Second, however, he has narrowed it down so it no longer includes all Jews automatically. Jews like Paul himself and all the earliest Christians are, of course, Welcome. And Paul will argue later in the letter that God wants more and more of them, but the badge they too must wear is that of the Christian faith. To be a part of God's unique family does not require any particular birthright. It does not require any particular nationality. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, and nothing you and I can do can redefine that. And so I go on to say, William Barclay, he says it this way, Abraham is not the father of those who have been circumcised. He's the father of those who make the same act of faith in God as he made. He's the father of every man or woman who in every age takes God at his word as he did. This means that the real Jew is not the man who is, radically, who is racially a Jew and who is racially circumcised. The real Jew is the man or woman who trusts God as Abraham did, no matter what his race is. And all the great promises of God are not to the Jewish nation, but to the man who is Abraham's descendant, because he trusts God as Abraham did. The word, the Jew, has ceased to be a word which describes a nationality, has come to describe a way of life and a reaction to God. The descendants of Abraham are not the members of any particular nation, but those who in every nation belong to the family of God. In one sentence, Paul shatters their understanding. And what this passage, again, Romans 8 says, is: listen, it's the whole world that is the inheritance of God's people. Not just one strip of land. The whole world is the inheritance of God's people. It's all his. And this becomes for us this idea that what does it look like for us to be in right relationship with God? If we're to be the unique people, the unique family of God, and Abraham becomes the father, this is the reality for us. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter if you come from a family that loved Jesus or not. It doesn't matter. And if your family did love Jesus, good. That means you're more culpable. It means you have more responsibility to live as a unique people of God, not less. See, what God wants us so desperately to understand is it requires us to accept this idea that that in the love of Jesus, that all of us are invited into this unique people, this unique family of God. that is not defined by national borders. It is not defined by anything, but the love of God for us. And this is hopeful. And here's what hope looks like. Having hope is not a sign of being capable. But having hope is a sign that we trust that God can do greater things than we can have hope in Jesus, because if you and I could make our lives right, we'd already have done it. If we could make our lives right, we'd have already done it. I wouldn't need God for that. It becomes idolatry. It's a whole other issue for another time. But, But here's why this matters for us, that this is an invitation for all people from all backgrounds and all walks of life and all places to know God. And this is revolutionary. Because I told you that, that Paul was a Pharisee, right? Paul was a Jew. He was the Jews Jew. Paul knew everything that they were called to understand. It was a way of life, a rule book, if you will. He knew the scriptures, but he didn't understand them. And Jesus comes and says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And so we begin to look at this, this Paul who had believed that, you know, it's fine. All these other people, forget them because our nation's the best. And God goes, hmm. It's not how it works, man. In fact, John the Baptist is why he was baptizing people out in the wilderness. In fact, and then and Paul, Paul has this encounter with God that changes life and changes his perspective. And so now he writes this letter as one who used to be one that our nation's better than all the other nations. And he writes to Romans, who thought our nation is better than all the other nations. In fact, we're conquering all the nations. And Paul writes them and he begins to say, This is not how it works. See, this is not what defines God's unique people. We are not defined by this. And so for us, this becomes a hard thing to know that only there is only one king, one leader that we follow, and it's Jesus. And Paul says, listen, I've gotten it wrong. Like, go look at my life. I've gotten it wrong, but he writes in Romans, here, you can get it right. And this is hard for us in a culture in which we sometimes are more shaped by what we read on social media or see on political talk shows but in fact, what Paul is trying to say to us is I think one of the hardest things for us to embrace. And please hear this rightly today with the right heart. I think maybe one of the greatest sins that we struggle with in America is this. See, too many of us live as if we are Americans who happen to be Christians versus Christians who happen to be Americans. I'm going to read that again because this, for some of us, we're probably even, our blood, our blood pressure is raising right now. To many of us live as if we are Christians who happen to be, or Americans who happen to be Christians versus Christians who happen to be Americans. That's hard for us to wrestle through. See, the church has always historically not been known by any national borders, but by being the unique people of God. Israel got that wrong. That's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. It was Abraham was credited him as faith that made him the unique people of God, not where he was born, not his birthright, not his border. See, we are to be a people who are more defined by the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, by the sacrificial love of Christ, than we are whether we're Republican or Democrat. And this becomes the unique challenge for God's people. Are we going to embrace God's love in a way that reshapes our understanding of the world? Are we going to understand scriptures in light of Jesus? Are we going to find ourselves in the same places that the Israelites found themselves going, I know what the Bible says. I know what it says. But then God's go, do you know what it means? Is our mercy not sacrifice? Love your enemy. I mean, all these teachings of Jesus, they're, they're hard. Like we sang a line earlier that, that basically said, like, this doesn't make sense. It's irrational because it is. But then I go back to this last line. This last line that Paul writes that we read today it's this because God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. God is a God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And Lee shared his story last night about how he was dead in his addiction to alcohol. But God did something miraculous in him and it no longer held him in bondage. God does these miraculous things that are beyond our comprehension, beyond our imagination. And so God doesn't, doesn't care about our past doesn't. Abraham, he didn't care about his past. He said, Abraham, will you follow me? Will you trust that I will make you into a a great people, the father of many nations? Will you trust that I will do something impossible? You and your wife are old, like really old. Not like late 30s, early 40s having kids. I mean like 100-year-old people having kids. Do you trust that I can do this? He's like, well, I mean kind of. I don't know. That's kind of, we'll find out so maybe these words are helpful for us as we think about this whole text. These words of N.T. write, When Jesus was raised from the dead, God was not only saying he really was and is my son, but also all those who believe in him really are my people. See, God's promise to Abraham is our promise. If you'll have faith in me, I'll do the impossible in your life. I mentioned our trip to Colorado earlier. What I didn't mention was that even though we stayed in a place that was like in someone's backyard, also known as a garage, we had a really good time. I mean, once you got over the fact someone couldn't continue to watch TV, other people were trying to sleep. Once you got over that, we were good, right? It was a weird place. And I've heard people who have been from Colorado like, oh, Manitou Springs, that's just a weird place in general. We know that now. I didn't know that then. I've also learned that TripAdvisor is your best friend. But God invites us to a relationship with him that frankly is irrational. He invites us to a way of life that truly is revolutionary. He invites us to embrace this idea that God's love for for us is greater than we could ever comprehend, that somehow love was seen in its fullness on a cross through sacrificial, selfless love. And so the challenge for us is this, we're invited into this idea, will you and I, will we embrace the idea that God wants to do something radically new in us? Will you and I, here's the question, the same one Abraham had to answer, will we entrust our entire life, our entire future to God? Will we choose to have faith that Jesus is who he said he is? Will we choose to believe that he offers us new life, both here and in life to come? Well, we say to God, we understand that you can save us out of Egypt, but sometimes the Egypt out of us is hard to get. And we want you to change our hearts so that we love like you love. We become the unique people of God you're calling us to become. And we want to accept that somehow in Jesus we see the fullness of God's love and it was seen on a cross. So you and I can answer this question when we leave here today. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song together. And it really begs this question when we sing this song, will you and I entrust our whole hope, life, and future to the love of Jesus? Will we as a people be the unique people of God? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. For the way you invite us to embrace and know you as God. That somehow Jesus did this whole new thing and sometimes we find ourselves, we, we know What the Bible says, we can read it, but we don't always get it. And so we confess our need for even your Spirit's help in understanding the Scriptures. Our need for your community of faith to help us as we desire to grow and follow after you. And for some of us today, as we're wrestling with whether or not we want to commit to following you with our life, we pray that you would help us to hear your still, small voice. We'd also be reminded that there is nothing we can have done in this life doesn't matter where we're from. That our past experiences, our past behaviors, you will separate us from your love. You come to us through all that, and you just say, will you follow me? Will you trust me with your life? And as we do that, we find that maybe, just maybe, that knowing you is greater than any experience we've ever had. And maybe, just maybe, kind of like my family's trip to Colorado, maybe, it was even better than we thought it could be at first glance. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to look more and more like your unique people. That we become more and more the people of God. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and sing together?